0: they told me for years there was no money in podcasting well they were all wrong this is an ambiguous podcast solutions original podcast podcast a podcast years in the making, centered around you're listening to talking with Tarasha. With your host and founder of Ambiguous Podcast Solutions, Will Teraschuk. Join Will and his guests as they talk about anything and everything under the sun. Now, without further ado, let's do this. Yes, I know I have gray hair. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the podcast. My name is Will Taraschuk. I am the founder of Ambiguous Podcast Solutions, also the host of the Talking with Taraschuk podcast. But today, I am speaking with Chris Engelbert, who is the founding partner and CAO of Engelbert Financial... um, What is it, Chris? What's the name of the company? Engelbert Financial Advisors. There it is. Absolutely. It is there on the lower third right there. That's why I have the lower third there, just to remind me. And today, we are speaking all about... The police, because Chris, you wrote a book. I have the book right here, actually, right in front of me. Let me pull out the here. Right here. Here is here is your little little handy dandy pamphlet. That's so I read right. this thing two or three times. We're gonna go through it, talking about Pennsylvania police officers, police officers retirement account. So Chris, are you ready?
1: Yeah. Positive. Let's go. So let's just, just
0: general overview police officers. You know, you are an RAA and your RAA, you're some on retirement mm-hmm. investing. You know, we did a full episode on talking retirement podcast, which I'll link down below. You guys can all check out a full hour talking about what Chris does for a living. But how did you get so involved with police? You know, give me the backstory of your relationship with the police.
1: Yeah. Well, it's literally, literally started 30 years ago. Uh, we started doing police defined benefit pension plans mm-hmm. as an investment advisor. And the more I got into it, Uh, the more I realized it was a tremendously underserved uh, category as far as individuals go. Uh, You you know, so police officers, uh, you know, nowadays, most of them go to college. They then get, you know, trained. uh, They then become, you know, a a cop on patrol and they're out there. um, And, and, you know, really, what what they don't understand is they don't understand the basics of you know their defined benefit pension plan, their 457 or their drop. And so what ended up happening was over the years, as we talked to more and more police officers, it, you know, they kept saying to us, "You guys have a tremendous knowledge." Uh, in this area, you know, you should really write a book. And so, you know, finally, uh, during COVID, what do you do when everybody's, you know, locked up at home? You do those projects that you never had time to get to. And that's where we came up with financial planning and retirement strategies for Pennsylvania police officers. And what we're really trying to do is educate them literally from the start of their career to obviously the end of their career. Now uh, I give back to the community because there's a couple of uh, uh, police officers training centers around. And so uh, in, in another couple of weeks, I'm gonna go down and speak to a graduating class of young police officers, because again, you know, there's the business of being a police officer, but the problem is they just don't get any information on what happens during the end of their career. And that's really what we're trying to do. And, and it's very specific knowledge uh, you have to have when you're talking to police officers. So, right.
0: well, it's very it's very hard being a cop. You know, cops get a bad rap sometimes, deserved sometimes not deserved. You know, we're not going to touch upon social issues on the police in this podcast. That's why you're here. You know, sorry, not this time. Maybe next time. Um, mm-hmm. But when it comes to police officers, you say now is one of the best times to become a police officer. Which, you know, avoiding that sticky subject, I, that's that's hard for me to believe. Is it because? Well, why? I'll let you I'll let you I'll let you tell me before I kind of pre- prematurely assume why it's now this good time to be a police officer. Let me hear it, Chris. Well,
1: it's it's a tremendous time because literally only 10 short years ago, you would have municipalities post uh, officer police officers jobs and they would get 50, 75, 100 People saying, hey, I want to become a police officer because the pay is good. The benefits are great. And oh, by the way, I get something called a defined benefit, uh, you know, pension plan when I go to retire. But obviously, over the last six, seven years, the media, the stigma has really caused a lot of young people not to consider policing as a career. And they're making a huge mistake. Uh, the, The number one reason why is the starting pay is the highest that I've ever seen it. Uh, Since I've been uh, counseling police officers, uh, you know, they've got to pay them more because they're competing with warehouse jobs. Uh, You know, they're competing with other, you know, higher paying jobs. So naturally you got to pay more. The benefits are really, really good, but more importantly, it's a numbers game. I had a police chief tell me the other day that in a County, they had uh, 200 applicants countywide for open police positions. He said, after the written test, Uh, 40 of them failed, they had 160, and then you had to do an in-person physical fitness test, they had 60 no-shows. So he's like, we're down to hundred police officers for the entire county. And he said, what's gonna happen is out of the hundred no-shows, you then have to do a background check and 30 to 40 are gonna get bounced out with the background check. So you're gonna have 60 candidates for potential 200 slots that are gonna be opened for new police officers. So there's a real cry for getting, you know, manpower and women power. We're seeing a lot more women Uh, becoming police officers uh, now than we've ever seen before. But the other thing that's happening is that it used to be that, you know, policing was kind of, you know, you'd work 10 or 15 years as a police officer, maybe make sergeant, corporal, lieutenant but the real gig to get is obviously to become a police chief. And the problem was there was always very hot, highly qualified police officers, but they could never become a police chief. Now in our area in Southeast Pennsylvania, literally 50% of all the police chiefs are gonna be retiring in the next five years. So that means there's a tremendous room for advancement out there. So if you become a police officer, Uh, and you do a good job, uh, A, you're gonna get paid well. In fact, I have young police officers, literally 25, 26, 27 years old, working overtime, making $100,000 a year. And now there's room for advancement, which there never was really before up until the last couple of years. So I, I can't ever describe, I mean, I know, you know, because of the social issues, I know because of the stigma, a lot of people don't think about policing, but again, it's literally the best time I've ever seen to become a police officer now.
0: Well, that makes sense. Right? I mean, the jobs are there. The availability is there. I mean, if is, you know, it's basic supply and demand. And you mentioned, you know, you got to pay them more. That was a big theme of the podcast we did together. You got to pay workers more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do want to say the police chiefs because you brought it up, and that was like the most surprising part of this book. Um, so explain the employment contract of a police chief and like why is it so different from any other officers right you want to become a police chief because it's like the police chief is the highest rank you can go in police
1: right yeah so you're the police chief of whether it's a small municipality a borough mm-hmm. or a large township you could have anywhere's from 8 officers and you as the police chief have to become one of the law enforcement officers you go out on patrol you ask you know answer calls etc right. or if you got a bigger police department you might have 80 or 90 uh, police officers and you're the police chief and then there's assistant chiefs and captains, etc. But uh, again, I write a chapter in my book, why you want to become a police chief, because if you can find a smaller police force, uh, they're cry- crying for well-trained police chiefs is what they're crying for. Now, uh, most of the time that I've seen is that the police chiefs have a separate employment contract than the rank and file. So they can put things in their contract and you know they have a three year or four year contract, whatever the case may be. I've seen municipalities where they've given a police chief four year contract and just like professional sports, after two years, the township supervisors are are like, hey, you know, you're not working out for us, etc. They still got to pay the police chief for the following two years. So the police chiefs tend to be apart from the collective bargaining agreement that the rank and file has. And so many times they have things in their, uh, uh, you you know, collective or in their agreement that they don't have in a collective bargaining agreement. Uh, When we start talking about drops, I'll, I'll bring that up again because that was one way drops ended up becoming very popular. Uh, is because the, they would put a drop in to get rid of the police chief. Well, then the rank and file, you know, by law would end up getting it. So, you know, police chiefs are a good gig if you can get it. I mean, one of the things I see happening over and over again. Uh, it is, you know, there's a lot of training that goes into being a police chief, uh, a lot of specialized training. And that's a, another reason why law enforcement's becoming more attractive is because there's getting to be a lot more training than there ever was before. But what I see happening is a police chief will retire, and rather than sitting on the beach, a small municipality will call him up and saying, hey, can you please come and be our intern chief for one, two, three years uh, you know, to help turn our department around and get it more professional, etc That goes on all the time. And so there you are as a police chief. Uh, you've already got your pension, and now you're going to, you know, be employed again uh, for a couple of years. So you can get it, police chief's a good gig. Well,
0: and you touched upon it too, right? A lot of them going to be retiring, so you get these new guys coming in or girls coming in. You know, they're going to be young. They might be. They might still be green. Um, especially with police police officers in general, just dropping like flies, just quitting the force. You know, they're gonna need training. Is who's better yeah. to train them than a, a, a former chief? They become a consultants, right? Yeah. So, like, would they would they still get their retirement benefits? Because were they technically not retired? Like, how would?
1: No, no, they they end up they end up literally retiring and collecting their defined benefit pension, and, and then, then they, they turn like around a, like a consultant. Okay, so it's like, yeah, it's and then yeah, yeah, exactly, right? yeah, okay. then they yeah. turn around and get paid again. Uh, and many times I have numerous police chiefs retired and active as clients. And our biggest problem is how to shelter that money uh, you, you know from taxes is what it ends up becoming. So <laughs>
0: that is that, that, that is a sweet gig. Yeah, no, no complaints there from being a police chief. Okay. So let's actually talk about the basics, retirements, um, and pensions, right? When when if someone's gonna ask me about a month ago, how do policemen retire, I would have guessed a pension. Right now, some of my age doesn't really know what a pension is, or no. or like we have. They don't really exist anymore, right? Like I know my my mother was a uh, in a school um, social worker for a high school for like years and years and years. I think she has a very small pension. My uncle Phil yep. worked for the airlines; he has a very small pension. Um, but I would guess the most common thing for a cop or a fire department's public service would have been a pension. So, pension one hundred and one: What is a defined benefit pension for police officers?
1: Yeah, so it's a great question, and so you're exactly right. In the private sector, back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, uh, you know, there was something called a defined benefit pension, and people like, oh my gosh, what's defined benefit means? Well, it's the name, defined benefit, which means when you go to retire, your benefit or how much you're going to get paid is spelled out for you. So in the case of Pennsylvania police officers, they're covered under a state statute called Act 600. Act 600 says that if you reach age and years of service, and it may vary according to your local municipality, they may have an age of age 53 with 25 years of service. Usually the service is always 25 years, but every municipality in their collective bargaining agreement, the police are trying to get what the Pennsylvania state police have, is age 50 and 25 years of service. Some municipalities have that, most of them don't, but they try to get age 50 and 25 years, but most commonly it's like age 55 and 25 years of service. So that means if you meet age and years of service, you get a defined benefit, which is 50% of your last three years salary. So if your last three years salary or your last three years W-2 income has been $100,000 a year as a police officer, you're going to get a $50,000 defined benefit plan for the rest of your life. It's very attractive because again, like you said, the private sector doesn't have it. The only People that have defined benefit plans anymore are police and teachers, and lo and behold, our practice, we've been starting to get a lot of teachers as well because we understand how these defined benefit plans work. Now, the good thing about a defined benefit plan is that it's literally a payment made to you every month for the rest of your life. So if you're a 56-year-old police officer, you're going to get paid that 50, dollars dollars $70,000 a year. Remember again it's 50% of your last 36 months of w2. Yeah, let's uh, let's here let's, here. let's
0: pause right there, Chris, cuz I want I got I got explain gotta explain that math to me. So let's just say keep it simple numbers, right? They make $100,000 each year for the last 3 years. Yep. So that means that the average would be $100,000. So they would get 50k, 150k or is something those? So this would be 50 No, they pension. get yeah, they get
1: $50,000 a year for their last for their pension. So the pension. it's 50% of your last 3 years. Yeah. Okay, and that's exactly. every year? Yep. They get that every year. It's until typically, they die. Yeah. Until they die. And so that that's, big. that's the good news about it is that you get this $50,000. And now many times I say to couples, i will have a police officer and his husband or wife retire. And I'll be, I'll say to them, do you understand that your pension is the equivalent of having $1.2 million in bonds? And the wife looks at the husband, like we have $1.2 million. I'm like, you don't have it, but if you, had 1.2 million that's what i need to generate a $50,000 a year pension so they get that pension the good news is they get that $50,000 for the rest of their life the bad news is we obviously have inflation so if you retire at age 56 with a $50,000 a year pension actuarially you're probably going to live to 86 now i know some people say police officers die sooner yeah, maybe maybe not i mean medicine is a lot better than it was 20 years ago um, but the point being, you could be on a fixed or defined benefit pension for 30 years, and with inflation, that's going to eventually rode down, erode down your buying power. So defined benefit you know plans, defined benefit pensions are great, don't get me wrong, but you've got to do something in addition to that defined benefit pension in order to be able to retire reasonably right
0: and you also mentioned like different plans you know there's the uh, the four five seven plan that the drop. now if you do a defined benefit plan, can you not also do a four five seven plan?
1: Yeah, you and can you, absolutely you can. In you, fact
0: you, you can make like, mix and match.
1: Yeah, in fact, uh, well, your defined benefit plan is going to be your defined benefit plan. We call the 457 plan the icing on the cake. So in the private sector, it's called a 401k plan. If you work at a hospital, nonprofit uh, school, it's called a 403b. In the the municipal or public sector, it's called a 457 plan. Works very similar to a 401k. The, the, The thing, Will, that I see that's really a shame is young police officers not signing up for their 457 plan Uh, immediately upon becoming a police officer. If you're a young police officer and you're living at home and you're making 60, 70, 80 grand a year, if you could front load how much you put into your 457 plan, you will literally have a million dollars upon retirement. So what happens with the 457 plan is usually we get police officers who are 10 years from their end of their uh, uh, watch or end of their career. And they're like, hey, I need to save some additional money. And oh yeah, by the way, If I put money into the 457 plan, it saves me on taxes. So if you're a police officer making hundred grand a year, you put 10 grand into a 457 plan, your W-2 shows that you made 90 grand. So there's that $10,000 worth of tax savings. We have, well, many, many police officers that max out their 457 plan every year. Uh, and, And what's really interesting is that this year, over the age of 50, you can put $30,000 into it. So we call the 457 plan the icing on the cake because what ends up happening is you, you know get to the end of your career, you get you turn on your defined benefit plan, then you have your 457 plan, which has a couple of hundred thousand in it. You roll that over to an IRA. That's what's going to supplement uh, your income from you know the erosion you lose to inflation when you get to be 65 70 75 etc so a 457 plan is a very important part and unfortunately we see a lot of police officers they don't understand it it's called 457 sometimes in the police world they slang it as deferred comp that's not really the good name it's called a 457 plan but again you know we just started a plan uh, uh, last year a major township Uh, and it was the first time they had a 457 plan. They have 30 police officers, and they have like 25 or 30 non-uniform employees. And when we went to them, the finance director was like, hey, we need to start a 457 plan. Turned out the finance director was a CPA from the private sector, and when she realized that there was something called a 457 plan for municipal workers, she's like, we got to start this. So she was a driving force. Well, these police officers The township manager made the statement that, oh, I thought 457 plans were only for police officers. That's why we didn't put one in, uh, because we thought it was an extra benefit. It's not an extra benefit. It's something that a municipality can offer to everyone at the municipality. So police officers really need to understand their 457 plan and start it as early as possible.
0: Well, you you mentioned a few buzzwords there for me, and I'm going to get to maximum, so don't let me forget maximum, but you know- (laughs) This plan does sound great. You know, I I have a 401 k mm-hmm. thing, as even as a contractor, which I'm very lucky to have, which I'm very thankful to have. You know, I, I've been working my other than 10 months when I was unemployed since I, I exited college in 2017. You know, I got two different retirement retirement, retirement plans. 401k is huge. You know, the maximum I can give is 15%. Now, you know, I need I need more than 15%. So I give 10%, right? I give 10% of my money pre-tax into 401k, which is just huge because I see that grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. But, right. like, why isn't a 450, like, why don't I have the option to do a 457 plan? Like, why is this section cut off in different parts of the market? Like, you know, when other industries might have a 304 plan or whatever, an insert number or name here. Why right. is this, this is more of a general systemat- systemic question. Like, why is it separated? Like, this is America, Chris. This is the free right. market. This is, sound, it's this is not the, very meritocracy to me.
1: Yeah, it's just the IRS code. It's, it's really the IRS code. Uh, the IRS code, portion of the IRS code says, here's what a 401k is, mm-hmm. and here's who it's for. Here's what a 403b is, here's who it's for, and here's what a 457. So there are 457 plans and 403b plans are a little bit different than a 401k plan. Uh, there's some things that you have to do. We do 401k plans at our shop. But really, you know, again, the main point about the 457 plan is it's four municipalities. Uh, you know, it's really who it's designed for. Um, you know, it's got some things in it that I wish it would have. Uh, for example, the di- main difference between a 401k and a 457 plan is in a 401k, your employer can match. So if mm-hmm. your, your employer puts in 4% and you put in 4%, you can get a match. Well, in a 401k, and this is getting in the weeds a little bit, if your employer puts in a match, you could still put in the maximum, uh, which for 2023 under the age of 50 is 22.5. In a 457, the municipality can put money into the 457 on your behalf, but it cuts down how much the employee can put in. So in a 457, if a, a city or a township or a borough puts $2,000 into, you know, the 457 plan, well, then the employee can only put in 2, or 20,500. So there's some subtle differences between the two. Um, but again, the biggest thing mistake that we see is that 457 plans aren't taken advantage of. The other big difference in the 457 versus the 401k world is you're actually better off in the 401k world from a standpoint that the Department of Labor has said that all fees in a 401k have to be shown to the participant. So every year in your 401k, it says, we'll pay this, this, and this in his 401k. A couple of years ago, the Department of Labor was going to make 457s and 403bs totally transparent to show all the fees. Well, guess what? Guess who the biggest providers in the 457 world are?
0: Tell insurance you know. okay. companies oh, they're course. insurance companies yeah of course and
1: and so i just got a 457 today we have a product called Pontera, okay. where if we don't actually manage the 457 if we're the advisor to the 457 i got a, a, a we have a product called Pontera where i can actually manage the police officers 457 plan so the police chief you know said hey i want to do that because I could never get into this municipality to, to sh- be a 457 provider. So I said, sign up for Pontera, I'll manage your 457 plan for you. I'm telling you, Will, I got on there and I looked at the fund lineup and I looked at the costs. The costs are almost double what people pay in the 401k world. I, I'm not kidding you, it's, it's a little insane. But again, the Department of Labor, about seven, six, seven years ago was gonna say, we're gonna make all the costs transparent. The huge pushback, came from the insurance industry because they didn't want to show all the costs yeah, and have yeah. them transparent the because up, guess what they're they're charging so much more yeah. so well, it, I you know again yeah, yeah oh there's no question about it and yes. and and so the 457 is good i mean we run a 457 mm-hmm. uh, uh like a 401k we show all the fees our fees are hyper competitive uh but when i see some of these other 457 plans run by other uh, uh companies uh, it, it's it's You know, it's not good, but again, you know, an officer should take advantage of their 457 plan, no question about it, right? So, all
0: right, let's okay, let let me touch upon maximums real quick. Maximums annoy me, right? Like, why is there a government mandated max maximum mandate on how much money I can save for my retirement, right? I guess you can just open multiple accounts, I'm sure there's loopholes and things you can do this, that, the other, but the idea of like the maximum I can contribute to any account is just like, why? Why? Other than this, you want to be ridiculous. It's like like a Roth, right? A Roth IRA. Sometimes it makes sense. Like a Roth, I guess, can make sense because it's 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 probably taxes more than anything else. But maximums just annoy me. It's it's, it's a thorn in my side.
1: I agree with you. I mean, if we're going to solve the retirement problem, I mean, they've been raising. I mean, people don't realize this, but 401Ks, 457s, 403Bs, uh, 10 years ago, the maximum you could put in was about $14,000. So right now, if you're over the age of 50 you can put in $30,000 if you're under the age of 50, 22.5, and they they are indexing how much you could put in for inflation finally. But I I agree with you because Uh, you know, you would see people saving a lot more money. I mean, if you get a husband and wife working, the kids are gone, you you know, college is paid for the houses and they're making a combined income of $200,000, $250,000. If they could sock away 50, 75 grand a year in a 457 plan or 401k or 403b, that would be huge. But I I agree with you. Uh, There should be, you know, a much higher maximum that you could put in. Yeah. If
0: I I got the cash to save, yeah, let me save it. Let me say. Well,
1: and you bring up you bring up a very important point because we see this quite a bit uh where we see people becoming inefficient with what they're saving mm-hmm. and what I mean by that is I'll see a police officer putting 8 grand a year in his 457 plan but he's got 50 grand in a savings account and I'm like, well, where'd that 50 grand in the savings ca- account come from? He's like, well, we've just been saving it. I'm like, you're saving it in the wrong bucket. Mm-hmm. You're saving it in the savings account, which should be termed a don't pay me any interest account. Uh, although savings accounts are coming up, they're whopping almost 2% now. Um, but the the point is you should be ha- putting more money into your 457 plan if you are inefficient and have too much money in a after tax account is what you should end up doing so. yeah now
0: my segments counts just a digital sock drawer at this point
1: yeah there you go <laughs> but, you know, but
0: I make I make good use of it all right so before we actually get into strategies and like how how cops can take advantage of this and learn this and all that stuff we got to talk about drop accounts because you didn't mention drop accounts now to me yeah, so no to, to me drop accounts kind of seemed like once an officer turns 50 they just try to kind of push them out right is that kind of what it is but before we even get to what an account is, but why? You know, I got to say why you don't want a 52-year-old officer on the street. Right, But they're right. still valuable f- to the station, to the force, yeah. as even in the consulting role. Like, you know, p- paperwork still needs to be done in the officer world. So 50 is yeah. also not that old. 50 is new 30. Um, right. So why, why, why?
1: Well, so drops are a little controversial. Okay. You've uh, we been a big proponent of them for the last 20 years because the way I talk about a DROP account, so DROP stands for Deferred Retirement Option Program. So a municipality can put in a DROP account for three years, four years, five years. Basically, technically the police officer retires. They calculate his pension, he's still working, but they put that pension amount in a sub-account that when he is done, that money rolls over to an IRA. So let's say we're gonna use the example that they have a three-year drop Mm -hmm. and the police officer his last three years he's averaged 100 grand a year which means his pension is going to be fifty thousand dollars a year that means a drop account is going to get fifty thousand dollars put into it each year he's still going to be working but really what it is it's two things it's a human resource management tool and it's a retirement option so in the private sector they've done early retirement options for the last 30 years. I mean, in my career, I've seen AT&T, Lucid, here's, here's one they'll date you, Bethlehem Steel. They all did early retirement packages where they would get senior guys and they'd say, we're going to pay you this much to basically go away. So it's the same thing with the drop and, and, and you're right. Uh, It it typically is not as attractive to younger officers. Like if you're, if your municipality has uh, for your retirement, age 52 with 25 years of service, you may sit there at 52 and go, I don't really want to retire. Well, maybe they need to have an incentive because every police officer will tell you policing is a young man's sport. You don't want to be a 50-year-old police officer with your gun belt, your vest on, getting in and out of your patrol car, you know, 15, 20 times a day. Mm-hmm. If you can move to an inside job, administrative job, obviously you can last much longer. If you become a police chief, captain, lieutenant, etc. You know, those are what I call non-contact sport policing, but you can last longer. But again, what, what ends up happening with most police forces is municipalities, when they hire police officers in a perfect world, they'd hire a police officer one every year over a 10-year period of time. Instead, what happens is municipality grows and all of a sudden they're like, hey, we need eight police officers. So they hire Eight police officers in a two or three year two or three year period of time. Mm-hmm. So what it ends up happening is, as these officers get closer and closer to retirement, some of them, you know, are, are at, don't have any incentive to retire. So you, as a municipality, have to say, "Wait a minute, how do we get these guys to retire?" We put a drop in, um, and there's been some very interesting twists on how the drop works. Because again, let's say uh, your retirement's age fifty two with twenty five years of service you have a three-year drop, you're going to be a police officer until you're age 55. You're still working as a police officer, obviously, to get the drop. What happens when you're done being a police officer? The drop account rolls over to an IRA. Your 457 rolls over to an IRA. You have a really nice IRA that's in conjunction to your pension. But I've seen situations, and this goes back to what we were talking about as far as police chiefs, where we had a police chief who was 70 years old that refused to retire. The municipality said, "We're going to put a drop in—a three-year drop. If you enter the three-year drop, you're going to be getting X amount of money at the end of three years." He entered the drop immediately. At, at 73, he finally was done being a police chief, and he ended up retiring. Unfortunately, he died a year uh, a year later. That but, job, that job what, kept
0: him alive, Chris. I'm telling you.
1: Yeah, but what what happens for those police officers in their 50s and 60s? I mean, I, I had another municipality, I had a township manager say. I got a 62-year-old police officer that's basically an overpaid administrative assistant. We can't get rid of So what they ended up doing, something very smart, they ended up putting in what's called a progressive drop where if you reached age and years of service, you got four years and drop. If you waited a year, you got three. If you waited two years, you only got two. Well, guess what? This guy went in the drop immediately because he was gonna maximize the amount of money that he had in drop. But again, I, I tell municipalities, it's a human resource management tool. Mm -hmm. Because if you think about it, you have a senior officer making 120 grand a year with 20,000 in benefits, that's Um, 140,000. You know, what ends up happening is that when you finally retire him, you can actually hire two younger police officers to replace that one older police officer. And if you're a good municipal manager, what you do is you watch the people and drop. It's the same with the police chief. You watch your guys and drop and you say, hey, listen, this guy's two years into a four year drop. We better start hiring younger officers and get them trained up. So when this guy does retire, we can hit the street. I I had a conversation with the police chief uh, just the other day, he was beside himself. He's a small force. He's got eight uh, guys on his force. And three of them are in drop, and they're all leaving this summer. So he's going to have five officers, and he cannot ret- he cannot hire new officers fast enough to replace these three. So in in some cases, it's a good human resource management tool. In other cases, you better use it as a resource management tool. <laughs> right. It's
0: so only so many people can have on the floor. It's kind of like we're going to push out the window. We're going to make sure you land on a mattress.
1: Well, what's really if some people understood like we did. We handled the entire drop for a ba- very big city. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had 22 police officers go through drop, and the mayor, instead of saying, "I got 22 guys leaving, I know when they're going to leave and start hiring," he waited till they all left. And I mean, this police force was severely understaffed that for about like a, a that year. Sounds
0: like a bad mayor.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was. It was not a good situation, yeah. uh, and they've since staffed up. But he, he, you know, because he was saving so much money. By having 20 officers not, you know, payroll benefits, et cetera, his budget looked really good uh, the following year, but they were severely understaffed. Now, so.
0: can you as an officer request a drop, or is the, is the uh, municipality have to come to you?
1: Uh, it's usually gone through f- for collective bargaining. When when right. they do their collective, their police contracts, they collect a bargain and get a drop in. Got Most it. of the drops it. we see put in are three-year, four-year, five-year, Uh, Most municipalities now have the drop because again, they're beginning to see the value as a human resource management tool. Uh, They're finally getting it. Uh, I'm very surprised some, there's still some police forces that don't have it. Uh, They're either been fed wrong information about how the drop works or, you know, it's just, there's a lot of uh, animosity uh, and jealousy sometimes between, you know, administrative officials who are non police officers going, well, you know, I'm running this township or I'm running a city. And when you retire, you're going to get a defined benefit pension and I'm not, and oh yeah, you're going to get this drop and I'm not. And so sometimes, you know, for the wrong reasons, there's some animosity, but the good city managers, township managers, borough managers, understand how to use it as a human resource management tool. And for the most part uh, in Southeast Pennsylvania, uh, a large number of the municipalities have the drop in place. So,
0: all right. Well, Chris, that covers chapter one. All <laughs> right. <laughs> glad, glad we got through that one. All right. So, strategies. So We got strategies for new cops, cops of ten to twelve years, and uh, cops for approaching at, approaching retirement. So, strategy for new cops. So, this is my this is my main question, right? This is more another kind of systemic thing that can be used in all professions. How much pensions drop hmm. accounts? 457, uh, four, five, four, five, The all the plans. How much that is actually taught in the academy or in training? And then yeah. this this could bleed into a lot of professions, right? Like I, oh, yeah. like you know, I I knew what a four one k was, but I didn't know what it was. Right? I knew a four one k was a retirement account, but that was about it. I didn't learn about four one k until I googled it and like I had my girlfriend tell me about it because she's in personal finance. But I think this could also be huge for like college athletes as well, mm-hmm. like. College athletes, right, they should be put in the classes, sure, but they should be taught how to be a professional athlete, especially with their finances. You know, you've you seen broke, all the football players who go broke. Um, so how much, significant police officers now, how much that is actually taught in the academy, and what are the resources available for a young cop, and all, after that, what are the common mistakes they make, other than, other than them being 20-somethings and they just don't care?
1: Right. Well, <laughs> un- unfortunately, the resources are zero. I mean, Damn. that's why we wrote the book. Uh, Damn, and I, really? And zero? I, yeah, literally zero. They go through the academy. They're trained on, you know, case law. They're trained right. on how to arrest people. You firearms, know, you know, some, yeah, yeah, some firearms. stuff they
0: should be trained on, but yeah. why, yeah, is, but why I, isn't financial literacy taught in these courses for any profession, not just the police?
1: Yeah, I, I I don't know. I I really don't. That's why we wrote the book. Will right. I mean uh, I can't tell you how many police chiefs, uh, you know, get our book and they give it to all their you know police officers because again, you know, you become a, a young police officer. It's exciting. You know, you're you're doing something. Uh, you know, it's a law enforcement career. Uh, and and literally, what they don't talk to you about is what you should do or what's your strategy. Because again, like I said, you could be 25, 26 years old and with overtime be making a hundred to $110,000 a year, you know, literally three years out of the academy. And that's a lot of money for a young person. So, you know, the number one problem I see is they don't ask enough questions. Mm. Uh, When I go to speak to the training class uh, you know, I, I ask how many of them in the training class, Already have jobs and about 60% of them raise their hands. They've already got a job with the municipality. And I say to the to all of them, you need to ask questions. What's the defined benefit plan look like? What's my age and years of service? We all know years of service is 25, but one municipality, it might be 53, one, it might be 52, one it might be 54. Ask that question. What's their 457 plan? How do I sign up from it, you know, for day one? Do you have a drop? Now, a lot of them, they're just not thinking that far in the future. So I always laugh because when I start out my presentation to these training classes, I always say, my name's Chris Engelbert, Engelbert Financial Advisors. I am from the future, and I'm coming back to the past 25 years to talk to you because you will be talking to somebody like me or me 25 years from now. Mm -hmm. And so if I can give you the inside baseball when you start out your career, you will be able to retire very, very comfortably as a police officer. Uh, and so, again, these young police officers—they're all, you know, hepped up with the training and a certification and and you know everything else. But they don't, you know, they're all excited about the beginning, but they don't, you know, ha- have they don't ask enough questions about what happens at the end of your career.
0: That's very typical among young people. Right? Yeah. That That's just that's just that's just comes with being a twenty-something-year-old kid, where it's just, you know you don't. You don't think about when you're 60, 70, 80 years old. Um,
1: and, and, and the biggest the biggest mistake I see them make is they get, I and mean, this is a fancy word for debt, they get over leveraged. You're yeah. 25, 26, 27 years old, making 100, 120 grand a year. You could afford a five, $600 a month pay, car payment. You could afford a 2020. I had a police chief one time, I was in his office and he's like, hey, come over here and let's look out the window. And we look out the window and he's like, new pickup truck, new pickup truck, uh, you know, new BMW, et cetera. And, and this police chief was a tremendous saver. Uh, he was very financially astute, but he's like, I don't know what to say to these young people because they start making this kind of cash and they start buying cars and trucks and h- homes. And they end up, well, I've seen it over and over again. I'm like, how much money are you putting a year into your 457 plan? I'm putting two grand. Yeah, I'm putting two grand a year. I'm like, two grand? Are you kidding me? Uh, and, and they literally, the biggest mistake I see them make is they get tremendously over leveraged. I mean, they'll be making a hundred grand or 110 grand a year, and they get married. Uh, if they're smart, they marry a teacher or uh, they end up marrying a nurse. We see a lot of that, and they'll have a two. They'll have a two income of a quarter of a million dollars, and they'll be in a six hundred thousand dollar a house with two five hundred dollar a month car payments, yeah. and they're not they're not putting enough money in their four fifty seven plan. So. Well, you you
0: you you got to beat it into them, you know, metaphor yeah. metaphorically, like listen, you can have both. Like if, right. if I was making if I was making one hundred fifty thousand one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. You know, I already save as much as it is with as much money as I make. You know, it's not crazy amount of savings, but I, I put money away for a rainy day or things I need. Mm-hmm. But some people don't do anything, which is, you know, but, if I, but my point is if I had $150,000, you know, I would live that lavish lifestyle. I would travel more, right? Um, sure. I would, I wouldn't, I actually, I don't care about cars, but like, you know, I would upgrade to a different apartment when this lease is up, right? I would get a luxury building with a gym and a foyer and the doorman and all that fun stuff, right? But I would still make sure I put away more money. I had 10% in, um, of my 401k. I would move up to 15, right? Yeah. I would open a Roth. I would do these other things and budget in the lifestyle I want to live. So you guys got to pretty much just teach them. You can well, do both.
1: You can have three
0: trucks. You can have two trucks.
1: You're right, and it's funny you say that because we had a young officer at a township. He just transferred from Philly. Uh, You're getting a lot of Philly cops, obviously, leaving the city of Philadelphia, and you can transfer a 457 to another 457 plan, just like you can do 401k to 401k. And so he was starting at this township, and I said, okay, you know, let's transfer your 457 plan. And he was like 27 years old, and he had 30 grand already in his 457 plan. And I'm like, this is huge. I said, what's going on? He's like, when I started four years ago, at city of Philadelphia, I had a sergeant take me by the shoulder, walk me downstairs and make me fill out the paperwork to put this kind of money away. He knew I lived at home. I didn't really have any bills and that I could afford to say, I said, do you understand at age 27, 28, having 30, 40 grand already is huge. And and so some of them get it. Uh, Don't get me wrong. Some of them get it. Uh, You know, some of them are hyper savers. Uh, but for the most part, it's they got to have a strategy. And and like I said, the two things I see young police officers make as far as the biggest mistakes is too much debt and not enough in their 457 plan.
0: Right. Well, luckily, they do grow out of it. Right. Most young people grow out of it. They kind of, they start they, they hit they hit 30. I think 30 is that big wall. <laughs> you know, there's a reason why us young people like stress about 30 years old, because it's like it really is that point where you pivot. And you go, you get married, you have kids, you start thinking about your career more. It's less about this booze on Friday night and more about books on a Saturday morning, right? right. So Stuff like that. So let's go into the strategy for a 10 to 12 year old, 10 to 12, yeah, 10, 12 year old cops, that'd be amazing. 10 <laughs> to 12 year experienced cops. Because um, yeah. then they're going to start having a family, right? right? So how should a cop balance saving for their family, their home, their own retirement, their kid's college, if they want to go to college, um, yep. you know, the older they get, the more expensive they have, the more yeah. responsibility they have. So balance. It's all about balance. And this is good right. advice, not just for cops. This is good advice for anybody. So, but specifically for cops, with the options and tools they have, how do they balance you know, kids, their college, the house, and the car once they hit like, you know, 30 years old?
1: Yeah, it's tough. I, I, I'm i not going to deny it. And that's why, like I said, if you're a young police officer, if you can front load your 457, mm-hmm. well, maybe when you get to that middle part of your career, 12, 15, you know, 16 years on the force, you know, again, you're right. You have the mortgage, you have kids 529 plan. Uh, you, you know, you have you need to put some money in your 457 plan. You, you know, people do this. I, I got to do all this or all that. and I, And I'm like, no. If you gotta cut down your 457 plan, cut it down, you know, start a 529 plan for your kids, uh, you know, to help save for college. I mean, there are more buckets that you have to do, but again, uh, you know, at least do something in each bucket is what you wanna do. Uh, The number one killer, uh, no pun intended, that I see uh, during that period of time for those police officers is uh, divorce, Um, you, you know, uh, I, I have police officers that are either married to the same woman for 30 or 40 years, or they're on their second marriage uh, with a whole other set of kids. Uh, I don't know what it is, but, you know, I always counsel, if you're going through a divorce, finish one thing before you start another, is really what you have to do. Because what happens, obviously, in a divorce to your first wife is she can attach to get some of that defined benefit pension when you retire when you hit what they call superannuation which is you know retirement age whatever it is for your municipality age 52 or 53 with 25 years of service and you get your pension she can get part of that pension is what she can end up doing you know from that standpoint so you know there's that danger of those you know police officers 10 15 years on the force you know where they go through divorce so they're getting pulled in all directions uh, they're usually making much more money Uh, but again, they've got the house, they've got the kids. uh, And and so what I say is, you know, again, don't over-leverage. Don't buy too much of a house. You know, uh, again, a two-income couple, you know, police officer, a nurse, or a teacher could easily afford a $600,000 home. But hey, what about a $400,000 or $450,000 or, you know, something more modest so that you're not squeezed so tight? Unfortunately... In the 457 plan world, police officers, depending upon the 457 plan can take a loan out. uh, And and we see police officers that get too much debt, they get overstretched, and they're constantly borrowing against their 457 plan, you know, to try to make ends meet. And I'm like, you're you're really, you know, depth charging uh, in a bad way your retirement because a 457 plan is supposed to help you once you retire. But if you're borrowing against it, you know, and, and again, not all police officers do that. But, you know, these are the mistakes I've seen is, you know, in the middle part of your career, you're still over leveraged. You get a divorce. You borrow against your 457 plan. You should be thinking about the end game at that time, you know, because if you're 15 years on the force, it, you, you know, you're rolling in. It's Ill, and 10 years can go like that you're going to be eligible for retirement is what you're going to end up doing. Right. So. Let's, let's
0: stick with the, the topic of divorce because unfortunately it is very common in police officers mm. more than other professions. Right. And I think, you know, stress at a job, not being home, the hours, that can all play a part into it. But why is a spouse entitled to the retirement benefits of a cop? Right, I understand salary, right? right. That money's being pooled together. They live together. You know, she's entitled to that because it's their money. But right. why is a spouse entitled to money that they haven't touched it that's designed for when they're not together anymore
1: right well that's that's why divorce is bad (laughs) because are are
0: there ways uh, anyone can protect themselves from that like 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 a a prenup can a prenup protect against that and also is like if if the cop is married to a nurse is that cop entitled to that nurse's retirement benefits as well It work both ways
1: Right. Well, typically a nurse doesn't have a, a defined benefit pension. That's why these defined benefit pension plans are so valuable because it's a asset. Like I said at the beginning, you know, it's worth 1.2, 1.4 million now. So let's say a police officer gets divorced. Uh, it, it, so again, how much she could end up getting uh, from the pension depends upon how long they were married. If he was a police officer for eight years and then they were married for 10 years, Uh, And then he retired after 25 years. She's only going to get 10 25ths of that pension. She's not entitled to it all unless she has an extremely good lawyer. Now, the other fallacy out there is that if you're going through a divorce, you can't get a lump sum payment for this defined benefit pension. I've had a lot of bad attorneys call me up and go, Hey, uh, you know, my client would like to get a lump sum from this defined benefit pension. I'm like, not under Pennsylvania law, you can't pay out a lump sum for that portion. So if she's going after his pension, she can get a part of it, depending upon how long they were married, et cetera, but she can't get a lump sum. What I always counsel police officers to do is give other assets give assets out of the 457 plan, equity out of the home, do whatever you can to protect that pension. Because if you think about it, you retire at age 52, 55, 56, whatever, you could have 30 years of that pension benefit being paid to you. Do you really wanna give a portion of that to an ex-spouse, especially if you end up getting remarried too? So there's, there's some things, there's some strategies that you can do uh, you know, typically a prenup is always a good idea, no matter if you're a police officer or not. Uh, but again, you, you know, anytime there's a defined benefit pension involved, you're vulnerable for them going after that that pension.
0: All right, Chris, I got a I I quote from this book right here. It's on page 18 from this chapter. Quote, I strongly urge a police officer to give up other assets such as a house to protect not having to give up 50% of the defined benefit monthly income. That, my friends, is a bold statement. That yeah. is a very bold statement because houses are incredibly valuable. People re- re- rely on their house for retirement and inheritance. You know, when my grandmother passed away, God let rest her soul, she left multiple properties to my mother and her sister. Mm-hmm. And guess what? My parents retired off of them. Yeah. So well, you, and, and, you're going to tell, tell me this. If, if you're in divorce, it's, hey, man, give up the house more than these cop benefits.
1: Yeah. Well, and it depends how much equity you have in your house too. I mean, if you mm, if you have okay. a $600,000 house, that's, you know, you have free and clear and it's worth 600 grand, you're not going to give up all, all, you know, uh, you know, the equity in the house. But again, that defined benefit pension, literally, if you, if you do the math, you're talking, let's say your officer, you know, retires and he's getting a $50,000 a year pension and he gives up half of that. That's 25 grand. He could be giving up that for 20 years that works out to be $500,000. Mm. So again, you know, let's say our our officer is getting divorced, you know, has a $400,000 house and he has $300,000 in equity, might be smarter to give up much more of the equity to his soon-to-be ex-wife than to sit there and pay her 50% of, you know, the pension for the rest of his life is what it ends up being. So, yeah.
0: Well, I mean, you guess when you run the numbers and do the math, that makes more sense, but that quote just Blew my mind because I was like I couldn't imagine yeah. I couldn't imagine giving up my house to anybody, right? I don't even have a house, right?
1: So well, the best day. way the best way not to do it is uh, it's funny because I, I uh, when I talk to these young police officers, I'm like, you know, what are the two you know biggest mistakes that police officer, officers make? And there's always a young officer in the front that goes getting married. I'm like, okay, no. okay. I said no. The two biggest mistakes they made getting is forced. over over leveraging too much debt and not saving enough in their 457 plan. Mm-hmm. But it's funny because younger people are very sensitive you know, to divorce nowadays, which rightfully should be. But police officers have to be even more sensitive because they, they have a valuable asset in their defined benefit plan. So.
0: Well, people need to start looking at marriage as what it is in the eyes of the law, right? You know, marriage yeah. is great. You know, I love my girlfriend. I'm sure we're going to get married. The whole lovey-dovey ceremonial, right? You know, we do the wedding, the honeymoon, the bridal shower, all that fun stuff. But at the end of the day, a marriage is a legal piece of paper. It's a legally yep. binding document that connects your taxes and your money.
1: Yep. Sign a and, Sign a and, prenup. And, you know, so it was funny because we had an officer, got his pension. He uh, retired. He got divorced. So his first wife got 50% of it. Mm-hmm. Well, then he got remarried again two years later, got divorced again. Oh, my God. And now, you know, he kept coming to the pension board meetings going, is there any way I can get more of a pension? Because I'm paying for my first wife. 50% of it. My second wife, I can't pay her any more out of the pension. I have to write her a check. And then he turned around and got married the third time. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. So you Pick, know, again wrong partner, man. Yeah, exactly. You know, finish one thing before you start another, but you have to realize obviously your vulnibar- vulnerabilities as well, how vulnerable you are. Right. So.
0: so that brings us, okay, let's say we got the cops who make it, you know, happy, happy wife, happy life. Or happy husband, happy life, whatever. Whatever whatever floats your boat there. Um, Approaching retirement, right? So you're getting down towards the end. You recommend tracking every pay stub during the last 36 months, which is the last three years. So let me ask you, what tools are available to help police officers do this? Are there apps? Are there AI that can kind of track it? Or is it really done by hands and up to the Like whose responsibility is it? More the municipality, more the officer. And who provides those resources and whose responsibility is it to seek out those resources.
1: Yeah. So, uh, you you know, again, not to denigrate uh, the finance directors of municipalities, but unfortunately, we've seen situations where uh, the calculations are not as accurate as they should be. Mm -hmm. It's sometimes as simple as just taking the W-2 pay stub and saying, okay, you know, uh, in 2022, 2021, and 2020, I made this much, add them up, divided by 50% you know, and divided by three, and this is what my pension is gonna be. I always tell police officers that when they're calculating your pension or the amount that's gonna go into your drop slash pension, you should get the calculation worksheet that shows the W-2 information that was given to the actuary to calculate your pension. So, you know, again, you know, trust but verify, because, you know, in the end, it's the municipality's responsibility to provide the correct W-2 information. But I had a police officer who had a spreadsheet that literally he put every paycheck in, and he knew down to the penny what his pension was going to be, and then how much his drop money uh, was going to be on a monthly basis. So it's really, you know, unfortunately, up to the police officer to make sure you track it. But I always say, any police officer get the pension calculation worksheet check it against your w-2 to make sure that those numbers match you know for the time period that they're going to be using the calculations for
0: lucky the w-2 makes it a lot easier because yeah. you know, I was saying like every month pay stuff. That's what I, that's right. Like when I read that, that's what I was thinking. Like every right. single weekly paycheck or what have you. But yeah, W two may makes a lot more sense. It's
1: all yeah. It's but but it's sometimes right an now. officer retires mid month and right, they got to right. do the calculation. And I'm like, okay, go back and see what you know what the W two information was that they gave okay. to the actuary, so you can make sure the calculation's right. Now
0: would so. that be like that income is that pre tax or post tax?
1: Uh, it's going to be pre-tax. You pre-tax. want to use the W-2 is what you want to use. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right.
0: Well, that sucks. Taxes sucks. <laughs> all right. So if like an officer leaves a drop account uh, early, are there any penalties, more taxes, fees, anything like that?
1: Yeah, no, no. Uh, and, and what we tell officers to drop all the time is if you sign up for a four-year drop, I've seen a lot of, uh, you know, again, let's go back to our, uh, you know, example, officers getting $50,000 a year as a pension that 50000 goes in the drop account. I've seen officers get round numberitis where, you know, their account gets to be a hundred grand and they're like, you know what? I'm done. I can't turn the car into the you know, parking lot anymore. I'm going to retire. Um, you know, so an officer can leave the drop early. Uh, you know, a drop is an irrevocable benefit. Once you sign up for the drop and you're in it, you can't go, Hey, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to keep working. You're in the drop you either run it to the end of the drop or you leave early. It's up, you know, it's really up to you. Uh, No penalties. And again, any money that's in the drop rolls over to an IRA along with your 457. And so eventually you're just going to have one big IRA that then you can manage. Now, an interesting situation on IRAs for law enforcement is that we talked about how many times officers Retire at age 53, or let's say they're in a drop for three years. So they're retiring at age 56 and they have rolled over their 457 and their drop, and they have this $400,000 IRA. Now, in, in anybody else age 59 and a half or under, you get a 10% early withdrawal penalty for taking money out of an IRA. That's not the way it is for law enforcement, law enforcement. And they just updated the law too. They included firefighters and uh, public safety uh, people that if you're 56, 57, 58 years old, and you take money out of your IRA, you're still going to pay taxes on that as if it's ordinary income, but you do not have the 10% early withdrawal penalty.
0: Is there any way an officer can lose these benefits? Like, um, they're like, they're a dirty cop. They're a crooked cop. They're a criminal. And like, if they end up going to jail, let's say, or they end up getting like, not like they like disarmably discharged for like, like the military does, but like if they end up getting, if yeah. they get fired, in they get the, canned. In the you know, state they're of doing Pen- something they're supposed to be doing. They can lose these benefits. Yeah. In the
1: state of Pennsylvania, if you're convicted as a, if you're convicted of a felony offense, you can lose your retirement benefits.
0: Well, that makes sense, right? There's some business yeah. out there. All right.
1: so, <laughs> so It's a very serious, it's very serious. And I've, in my career so far, I've only seen, thank gosh, I've only seen one police officer that ended up having that happen to him. So,
0: well, there's always one, right? When they say one yeah. apple spoils the bunch. Yeah. So, just, you know, just be a good cop out there, right? If you're a good cop, I really hope you deserve, you deserve all these benefits and more. Cause I am. Yeah, I, and again, and propolis- you know what? It,
1: yeah. It's funny you say that because, again, not to get political, but I've dealt with law enforcement for 35 years. And I can tell you, these guys are good guys. These guys are, I, I, I mean, they're really good to hang around with, mm-hmm. you know, the bad apples. It's like any industry uh, in the last, I would have to say in the last 10 to 15 years, the bad characters have really been run out of the industry. There's a lot of no pun intended self-policing going on, okay. but you know, police officers know. And, and again, the other thing, this goes back to my theme on why it's a great time to become a police officer is training, training, training. I mean, these guys are getting training all the time now, sometimes it's mandated, but a lot of them that are professional are going out and getting more training on their own because they realize this is my job, you know, just like I'm an investment advisor. I go to conferences all the time, you know, and you, you have to do it. You have to know what's, you know, the latest thing, how do you do it, et cetera. So again, you, you know, it's just I, we really enjoy working with police officers. They're just a great group of guys, just uh, and women, uh, just a great group. So,
0: so scams. You know, I can't, I can't, I can't say I'm surprised there's scams out there because people scam everything. You know, I got two scams today. People reaching out to me, one from my bank and one was a phishing email from my work. So, yeah, scams, man. What are the most common scams to look out for with these things? Yes. And how do you how do you how do, you, how, do you, how can you spot? A scam for something like this yeah
1: so what ends up happening i told you uh there are some uh, people in the financial world that are beginning to realize that when a police officer gets to the, his end of the career he could have 200 300 in his 457 plan he could have 200 300 in his drop so he's rolling over to an ira a half a million dollars well when investment professionals, non-ethical investment professionals find that out, they're like, wow, that's, you know, we gotta start going after these guys. And so the number one scam that I see out there is they're, they're like, Hey, Mr. Police officer, at your end of your career. How about when you roll over your IRA, we do a, a guaranteed income annuity inside your IRA. Well, I can go on for 20 minutes, but I'll give you the short version why you don't want to do an annuity inside an IRA. An IRA is already a tax deferred account. An annuity is a tax deferred account. The only reason why they put these guaranteed income annuities inside an IRA is people hear the word guaranteed income, four, five, 6% a year. What they don't hear is that the fees are tremendously excessive. The upfront commissions on guaranteed income annuities Are anywhere from 8 to 15%. So let's just say you got a kind of a good one where the upfront commission is only 10%. You're rolling over $500,000 from your drop in your 457 into an IRA inside a guaranteed income annuity. You just made that guy a $50,000 commission. Now, the other thing is your money is locked up forever because what ends up happening is they have super high declining back-end sales charges that start out at 15% the first year, 14 the second, 13, 12, literally they go on for 15 years because they wanna lock up this money. Now they'll say, what what we're doing is we're gonna give you a guaranteed income of 5% whenever you turn the income on. An officer hears guaranteed income and he's like, wow, man, that's what I want. Well, okay, if you leave it in the IRA inside the guaranteed annuity, you know, guaranteed income annuity for 15 years, and then turn the 5% on, okay, you're going to be getting 5% a year, but you're paying upwards of two, two and a half percent a year for that privilege. You are much better off rolling that account over to an IRA and hiring an investment advisor who's going to run a portfolio for you and charge you one one and quarter 1.25% to manage the account whether it's in mutual funds or individual stocks or bonds, and then take out your five percent. So to me, the biggest scam out there is these guaranteed income annuities. Putting an annuity inside an IRA is never a good idea. All right, good
0: to know. Excellent, excellent, excellent. All right, Chris, we're almost we're almost done here. We're wrapping up, but <laughs> you also struck another. You struck another one there with me. Uh, this term side hustle. Now we're gonna get yes. we're gonna get side hustles, but for the record, I despise the word side hustle. I hate the term side hustle. This as a friend, please never use that term in front, in front, of, me, <laughs> in front of me ever again. But all right, so side hustles because here's, here's why. There's no such thing as a side hustle. A side hustle is a second job. Right? Like right. people say, is your podcast a side hustle? No, 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 no. This is a full-time job. I just do it while working another full-time job. Right? Weekends, mornings, afternoons, whatever. So the term side hustle, it's a common phrase. So we'll, we'll, we'll yeah. use it. So when it comes to police officers having second jobs as as I'm, right. I'm going to call them, any restrictions? Every every industry has conflicts of interest. Yeah. Like other, other than other than working for another municipality, I can't think of one. Like if a cop wanted a landscaping business they do on weekends or their time off, I can't see it being an right. issue. But bureaucracy is a bitch. So any, any yeah, I, conflicts.
1: Yeah, I haven't I haven't really seen anything. Most of the second jobs I, I've seen are you know landscaping is very popular with police officer officers training companies have become extremely you know think about these mm. guys they go through 20 years of training and they can turn around and create a co- company a training company you know to leverage their knowledge off of that's becoming very popular um y- y- you know consulting uh is, has become popular too but again y- y- you know the, the profession kind of lends itself to that because you know, many times you might have four days on and three days off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you work a four, 10 hour day, well, now you got three days off and you can go do landscaping, cut down tree, you know, whatever the case may be. But I, I've seen many, many of the entrepreneurial police officers out there. I, I would have to say, you know, side hustles or second jobs are are very prevalent amongst law enforcement because, you know, again, some of them, you know, go drive, you know, cars, you know, because they can provide protection That the average citizen, you know, th- these guys are, you know, trained to carry a firearm. So, you know, if you have somebody that's like, hey, I, I need a, you know, a limo ride here or whatever, and I need, you know, more heightened security,
0: right, that's right.
1: what they end up doing. I mean, a lot of them, um, I, I, some of them uh, get into the whole uh, crime scene reenactment uh, where or, or traffic reenactment where they start a second career or second, you know, side hustle where there's, a you know, an accident happens and the police officer writes a report, but for the court, they have to, you know, really, you know, create the picture and do that. So I have an officer that does that. There's a lot of guys that are doing processing uh, evidence. Uh, you know, something happens and the evidence has got to be Process in a certain chain of custody. We all learned that with OJ Simpson mm-hmm. so that, you know, it's done the right way. So there's, there's a lot of, like I said, there's a lot of specialized training, uh, you know, that these guys get that they turn in and they leverage off of it. Uh, and, and to me, I think it's a good idea because what ends up happening is again, they end up retiring, you know, typically rather early mid fifties. And, you know, they're like, Hey, I need something to do for the next, you know, next 10, 15 years. Yeah, and the they do right to the other. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a police officer who's wildly successful. Uh, he started a training company over 10 years ago. He never even went into the drop uh, because he was making so much more money from his training company. And now he's a retired police officer. His training company is doing extremely well. He's an extremely intelligent police officer financially, not just because he has me as his, his advisor, but from a strategic standpoint, what he did to set the company up, what he did to, we helped him with his retirement plans. He's got a very, very good game plan. Uh, and, and you can do that. If you have a second job, you can set up different retirement plans because, you know, let's say in the second job, you make an extra 20, 25 grand a year, well, you can set up a one person 401k and shelter all that money in addition to, you know, what you're doing as a police officer. Right. So- uh, 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 out
0: It's already extra income anyway.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so I, I see a lot of them, uh, you know, some of them just treat it as, as a job, but for the most part, I see a lot of, uh, believe it or not, a lot of entrepreneurs. And that's why I always tell, you know, when whenever you ask a police officer, you know, they're like, you know, like my son's thinking about becoming a police officer. And I've grilled them over and over again because I said, every police officer I've said, talked to, has said, don't get a criminal justice degree, and you know, totally worthless degree. Yep, when agree. it comes that's to law enforcement, what you want to get is a business degree. And, you know, that's really what they need mm-hmm. is a business degree mm-hmm. to understand, you know, what, what to do with their second job. So
0: It's interesting. My, my buddy of mine from college, he was a criminal justice major, and now he sells commercial real estate. So. Yeah. It's, it's very yes. it's very valuable what he did with that. So. Right. <laughs> shout, out, shout out to my buddy, Kevin. I'm glad he's doing well. The landlord Good. on Instagram, he's doing very, very well. Um, Good. So post-retirement, you tell the story of a captain who paid off his boat and got a high tax bill. And Chris, the story has broke my heart. Yeah. You advised him to pay it off over four years to avoid taxes. Yep. So he didn't, and he got the huge-ass tax bill. So yep. My question is this. Why is the system, meaning... Like the money withdrawn, considered income.
1: Well, it, it all ends up in an IRA. Like I said, the right. drop money, the 457 money ends up in an IRA. And again, it's just, it's education. I mean, I think many times my job as a financial advisor is not so much how to invest people's money, but it's to keep them from doing stupid stuff. Yeah, and, how to you know, spend they, that money. But like, yeah, so, it ends, why the,
0: is even like, isn't it better to pay it off all at once? Why is the system set up to encourage payments over time. Like if if you have the money to pay for it up front, why are you penalized for that? That's very bizarre to me.
1: Yeah, well, what, what we try to do is it all comes down to your taxable income. So I mean, everybody likes to make more taxable income. But what you don't want to see, and any CPA will tell you, you don't want to see a big spike here, and then it come down. And so in his particular case, you know, I kept telling him, don't pay it off, don't pay it off, don't pay it off. In one lump sum, you have to structure it that you take 20 grand a year out over five Mm -hmm. years to make it look like you're only making an extra 20 grand a year. I'm like, if you take out a hundred grand, it's going to make, make you look on top of your pension. Like you made $200,000, which jacks you up into the next tax bracket. And in his case it did. Uh, And and he paid a severe, you know, not a penalty, but he paid a tremendous amount in taxes. taxes, And so he should have had a CPA, he did his own taxes, and he should have listened to us about not taking out gigantic sums of money. I mean, you can take—don't get me wrong—you can take money out of your IRA. It's your money inside your IRA, but you need to strategically take it out right. so that you're not causing these huge spikes in income, which then jacks you into another bracket. So yeah,
0: that makes that makes sense. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's just—you can it's, like have the money, you know. Sometimes you've got to be a little hush-hush about it.
1: Right, yeah, you got. You have, a, you have to have a strategy to pay it off. Right. And I've seen, you know, we had one officer literally buy a farm and I said, you're gonna get crushed, but we broke it up over two separate years, you know, that he took the money out and he ended up buying the farm and he ended up paying the taxes on it. But for the most part, you know, the, the ones that, you know, come up with a strategy, you know, for example, one of the other questions I get is, hey, I'm gonna retire and I wanna pay off my house. My first question is, well, what's your mortgage rate? And everybody answered the same thing. Oh, I owe hundred grand. I'm like, no, no, no. I don't care how much you own. Yeah, what is your the, rate? The rate? Oh, right. I refinanced two years ago. My rate's 2.75%. I'm like, you are never paying that off because you will never see a mortgage rate at 2.75%. So even if you're retired, that's the cheapest money you could possibly have. Now, eventually you might pay it off because at the end of the loan, it's going to be mostly principal and very little interest, but, you know to pay off a mortgage early is a bad idea uh especially if you have an extremely attractive rate because you're never going to see a rate like that again
0: it's just so bizarre to me right it just it goes against conventional wisdom i have money to afford something but don't pay for it
1: right right, right? i already that- bought
0: it i already bought yeah. it i have the money to pay for something i already bought but
1: don't do it Right. You just have to be smart about it. This is I mean, so there's weird. It's so Yeah, weird. there's there's weird. good there's good debt and bad debt. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. like if you have good debt at 2.75% on a property that's appreciating, that's great because I can turn around and take your $100,000 and make you 5 6 you know percent uh little or no risk. So why not create that arbitrage where you're making more with the money you already have versus paying off the debt which is at a very low rate. Right. So. Well,
0: it's the same thing with like annual fees. Look, like, I understand commission, right? You're doing a job, doing a service. You need to be paid off the money you make for them. That's, right. you know, that's just quid pro quo. That makes sense. But annual fees, you're punishing me for making money.
1: Yeah, well, the way we operate at our, our shop is uh, we're a registered investment advisor. So, for example, if somebody rolls over 457, uh, you know, drop account to it, it's a $100,000 account. We charge one and a quarter percent, so that's right. you know twelve hundred and fifty dollars. We bill it quarterly. It's not twelve hundred and fifty each quarter. It's about three hundred dollars. Um, and it, it, what's good about doing that is that we are really engaged. I had a famous uh, uh, banker tell me one time. He's like, "You want to take a little piece of the business as it goes by. Don't charge them a lot up front. Don't penalize them if mm-hmm. they leave." But we are very cog- cognizant. Because I'm trying to get that hundred thousand dollar account to two hundred thousand, to five hundred, to a million. At a million, we we drop down to one percent. But again, all the transactions inside that account, you don't pay any transaction charges. You buy a mutual fund, you buy a stock, you set, you know buy a bond, CD, buy or sell. Nobody pays transaction charges anymore. You may pay a tiny little platform fee. Some mutual funds charge a five or ten dollar platform fee for the custodian. But all in all. The main reason why you wanna char- be charged a management fee is because that person that's managing your money is trying to make your money grow. I, I have people come to me all the time and they're like, "Ah, oh, my guy hasn't called me for two or three years. I invested a hundred grand with him three years ago. I'm like, oh, and I look at what they invested in <clears throat> and it was you know basically what they call uh, front sales charge mutual funds. I'm like, well, did you get- give the guy any other money? No, I haven't given him any money. I'm like, well, he made his commission up front." Uh, he's not really interested in talking to you unless you give him some more money. So the industry has really gone to a management fee, uh, which I think is good, uh, you, you know, because obviously everybody's got skin in the game that way.
0: Right. Well, that makes sense, right? You're. It's, again, it's a service, right? If it is just kind of yeah. just looking at it, like writing a report, you know, I'm here if you need me. You know, I have I have a financial advisor through Ameriprise, which is my investments of four, right? You know, I talk to them maybe once a year around tax season. Mm-hmm see where I'm at if I want to make a move or I'm like you know keep an eye on it that 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 does that fee is deserved because he's actually you know doing something
1: yeah so yeah.
0: that makes sense all right Chris last the last thing the journey of the three officers you got officer long term detective doubter and chief procrastinator I bet you came up with those all by yourself
1: oh gosh and, and, <laughs> and like I said I you know I got to be careful not to put names with them but well, of course you, know, right? you can't yeah, so I end, you can't you know, in my, so I, I, I've i seen these officers over and over in my career, and that's why we came up. But, you know, officer long-term, young guy, uh, you, you know, may not be super financially astute, but he knows he needs to save money. He gets right in as a police officer, puts money in his 457 plan, mm-hmm. tries to put as much as he can, uh, you know, doesn't uh, over-leverage, buy too big a house or a car, you know, gets married. Uh, you know, he understands that there's an end game here is what he ends up doing, and and he's preparing them. And hopefully by us writing our book and getting it out to younger police officers, they realize I need a strategic plan early on in my career. Um, Detective Doubter is that guy 10, 12 years from retirement. Uh, you know, he's kind of been through the mill a little bit. Uh, he, he's, he, he you know, may or may not be a little sour on his profession, uh, but he really hasn't saved enough money but again, he's got too big a house with a mortgage. He needs a job where he's making 140 grand a year. Uh, You know, again, we're trying to get these people and we use examples in our book, you know, we've run spreadsheets through them showing just by doing this, here's how much money you're gonna have at the end. And it's, it's, again, it's never too late to start. And that's, you know, police chief procrastinator. You know, I get police chiefs, they've been making a lot of money throughout their entire career. And all of a sudden their career is starting to wind down and they're like, Whoa, I need to do something. You know, I got four years for retirement. And so again, if they get a strategy, focus on their 457 plan, you know, get their debt under control, they can get to the end game, is what they can end up doing. Because unfortunately, this is the only job I know uh where you can leave your house in the morning, kiss your wife and kids goodbye. You may not come home, or uh you may not you know, have a job, uh, you you know, at the end of the day. So, you know, they deal with a lot of risk and they'll tell you 98% of my job as a police officer is pure boredom, followed by 2% of sheer terror. And again, Mm -hmm. the reason why we wrote this book uh, and we're doing a podcast like this is we're hoping, you know, that we can, if we can help one police officer have a better retirement, uh, we'll feel, we'll feel fulfilled.
0: Well, I hope we do that. I'm the boys in blue, I'm wearing blue. this my shirt's blue. Uh, I am wearing that for you guys because you know you guys have a tough job. I don't envy it. I'm glad someone's doing it. The ones who do it right. Thank you to the ones who don't, you know, find another career. But it's a tough job. I've lost sympathy, and I'm glad this book exists. I learned a lot from this book, um, and I'm not even a cop, and I found it very interesting. It's very easy to read. It's a quick read. Um, you break it down very, very well. Those charts in the back with all the money breaking down, you make it make look a layman like me understands it and it makes me want to explore other options I have even with my own employer and like as a self-employer right as Mm -hmm. an ambiguous podcast solutions you know I'm going to use something like this to kind of figure out like you know once I have employees what kind of plans do I want to have my 401k all that kind of stuff so thank you Chris I really appreciate your time anything else you want to cover about this book before we say say goodbye and head home
1: uh all I can say is that you know they should get the book uh, they should read it and they should literally keep it in their patrol car. And when they're bored, read it again uh, and and come up with some kind of strategy. Uh, because, again, you know, many police officers have a lot of downtime. Uh, a lot of them educate themselves very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm very surprised how astute they are uh, on, on a lot of subjects. And And again, you know, we're just trying to get them, you know, to the to the end zone of retirement is what really what we're trying to do.
0: All right. Excellent. That brings us to the end of the podcast. Chris Engelbert, please tell everyone where they can find you, your social media, uh, your website, where they can find more information where they can buy the book um, and anything else you want to plug my friend, the floor is yours.
1: Yeah. Great. Thanks. Will. Uh, so you go to our website. Uh, uh, it's literally engelbertfa.com. F a.com uh, It's E N G L E B E R T F a.com. Go to our website. Many videos for police officers are on our website there, along with other educational videos. You can download my app on your smartphone. I have an app. So if you text Chris E, C-H-R-I-S-E to 36260, you'll get my app on your smartphone. Why do you want my app on there? The first page uh, of my app is a great way to contact me, text, call, email. We text a lot with police officers. We know you guys love to text. Uh, and so you can text me at any time. My cell phone's on there to answer questions. So download my app by texting Chris E, C-H-R-I-S-E to 36260. We do videos uh, literally on a weekly and monthly basis. There are a lot of good educational videos there too. But again, I can't say enough about my uh, about our website uh, because again, we do a tremendous number of videos on our website. Uh, it was funny. I had a police officer. We actually have three 45 minute videos. And this podcast is going to be on our website as well. But I've had officers tell me they've watched our videos numerous times to educate themselves. So it's a great resource. We hope to be a resource. Uh, Our books available there. As a special offer to any podcast listeners uh, uh, here on the Will Tarchek podcast, if you contact me by emailing me, Chris, C-H-R-I-S, at Engelbert, F-A-E-N-G-L-E-B-E-R-T-F-A.com. Email me tell, me, tell me you listen to the podcast. We're going to send you the book for free. Uh, so just that's one of our thanks for listening to the podcast. Anything we can do to help, we're here.
0: Excellent. All right, Chris, thank you so much. Now, everyone on the Talking with Tarashek feed, my name is Will Tarash. It's T as and Thomas, A-R-A-S-H-U-K. Also, not the Talking with Tarashek feed. It's going to be on multiple feeds. Who knows what's going to be? It's going to be everywhere. My name is Will Tarashuk. I am the host of Talking With Tarashuk podcast. This is going to be released on that feed as well as any of the feeds in the near future. Chris's website, my website, YouTube. Subscribe to us on Talking With Tarashuk. If you want to be a guest on Talk With Tarot Struck and be like a situation just like this, where we can talk about anything. Hey, if you're a nurse, you want to write a nurse book, you want to do a podcast just like this, the Talk With Tarot Struck podcast is a service to you. And that means you get the full audio, you get the full video, you get me as a host. You get to see this mug for a full hour and ask insightful questions. Um, it's a lot of fun. I love, I love doing this. I then go back and cut a lot of clips. So for this particular podcast, probably going to have about eight to ten. Long-form clips, about 5 to 10 minutes, about 15 to 20, maybe even 25 shorts. I think, Chris, our last podcast got 36. We're a little overboard. <laughs> so we'll we'll see how many I can get out of this. But you also get clips, download links for all of those. You can use them across your website, anything you want, as well as social copy. The social copy I use for my podcast distribution as well as YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, um, TikTok, Instagram Reels, the whole nine yards, email me will at APSPodcast.com. dot That's P O D C A S T dot com. And we'll see you there. But until then, y'all take care.